So we're returning to the book of Mark <clears throat> after a couple of weeks off over Easter. And uh, we delved into the Passover meal and how it points in incredible detail to Jesus. And uh, it was a very special time uh, for those of you who weren't there. We, uh, we killed a lamb at our place and we, we put it on a spit and we, um, we ate we, uh, a Passover meal together. And Michael, uh, who's actually sick today, he's uh, apologised as well. He took us through that, and that was a very special time. And then last Sunday, Easter Sunday, Sarah uh, showed us how the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope in our here and now, not just in our life to come. <coughs> so we're going back to Mark's Gospel now, and you might remember that we're on the downhill arc of Mark's Gospel now, both figuratively and, and literally, because Jesus was up in the north of the country, and uh, he was doing all these amazing miracles and wonderful things. And then he said uh, to the disciples that it was, he was going to Jerusalem and he was going to be crucified. So the high point of the gospel, remember, was, was Peter's confession of Jesus. You are the Christ, the Messiah. And then after that, it was all downhill uh, to Jerusalem for his crucifixion. So it's quite a, um, a sobering time. And... Um, now we're looking at a, a number of stories that Mark has included in his gospel. <clears throat> and they teach us the upside-down nature of God's salvation. And uh, in our last sermon from uh, Mark chapter 10, Malcolm showed us that the gospel of grace can only be received like a child. That is an absolute dependency on God. And when you think of the traditional understanding of, of how righteousness or goodness was obtained, that is ad adherence to the law of Moses. The idea that you might become right with God by being absolutely dependent on him, like a little child uh, is dependent on their parents, must have been mind-blowing. Jesus' actual words were, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's quite sobering stuff. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And remember that that verse is talking about dependence on God. <coughs> now I don't know about you, but, but when I hear a statement like that, um, I think to myself, right, I've got to be absolutely dependent on God here. And then I go and do exactly the opposite of what I want to do, which is to be dependent on God. Because I try and work myself up to be more dependent on Him. Instead of being dependent on him. Do you do the same thing? Or is that just me? <clears throat> so what do we do instead? <clears throat> Think about a little child. When it's hungry, what does it do? Just goes to his or her parents. Joshy, uh, if he wants a hug, he just comes into my room. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. Could be writing an assignment, could be writing a sermon. He doesn't care. He just comes in and want a hug, Dad. Okay, I'll give him a hug. If he's thirsty, he just, he just goes to his parents, right? And that's what the Lord wants us to do, right? That's what it means to be dependent on Jesus, to just be dependent on Jesus. So that's, that call, <clears throat> that was a call to live in that way of dependency upon God. And in our passage today, Jesus reveals another essential dependency for our salvation. 
in the story of the rich young ruler that we've just read, we see a fine man who did so much well and yet turned away from Jesus because he couldn't bring himself to point to Jesus instead of his moral performance. And so the question for us all to consider today is where are you pointing? Where are you pointing? So let's unpack the story. So remember Jesus has just spent time taking the children in his arms and blessing them. And as he continues his journey to Jerusalem, this man runs up to him and falls on his knees and addresses Jesus as good teacher. So this is a very, very fine start. So we'll give him 10 out of 10 for this. <clears throat> First of all, he runs. Now man in those days didn't run unless he had a very urgent thing to do or to discuss. So this shows the value that he placed on his own salvation, right? He ran. <clears throat> Many people these days don't seem to show any concern for their salvation at all. So secondly, he runs to Jesus. He's running in the right direction, right? Number two, most people these days don't run, and if they do, they run away from Jesus. So this guy, great start. He ran, and he ran to Jesus. Thirdly, he kneels. The voice translation says he knelt in the dust of the road in front of Jesus. Knelt in the dust of the road. Would you do that to anyone? Would you kneel in the dust of the road to anyone? Probably not, I'm thinking. It'd have to be... I don't even know who that would be. But, it had that, you know, you just don't do that. What reverence. He doesn't care how he appears. Jesus is surrounded by people, right? And he doesn't care. He kneels in the dust of the road. So many of us care so much about how we thought of by others, we forget what, that what Jesus thinks is the most important thing. Number four, he addresses Jesus as good teacher. The Amplified Version expands on these two words as you who are essentially good and morally perfect. So this young man acknowledged Jesus as his authority on salvation. So he ran, he ran in the right direction, he kneels, and he acknowledges who Jesus is. Great start, 10 out of 10. But then he starts to go downhill. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's divide up this, this sentence into two parts. What must I do and two, to inherit eternal life? Let's take the second part first. Inheritances are funny things, aren't they? What is an inheritance? It's a gift of money or assets or precious things, usually from your parents or older relatives. <coughs> and they have been accumulated by someone else. right? Someone else has done the hard yards to get a house together or a business or shares or money or whatever. So they've done the hard yards. And you're getting a gift, essentially. <coughs> But usually, inheritances are a sign of approval, aren't they? <laughs> or gratitude. Like, if you've lived a life that your parents have approved of, you normally get some kind of inheritance. And that's why the parable of the prodigal son is so scandalous and almost feels unfair because the son who behaves so awfully to his father and blows half his inheritance goes home and gets some more inheritances. It's like, that's ridiculous, really. That guy shouldn't have got anything. 
So to give an inheritance when it's so undeserved is pretty rare, I'd say. In fact, I, I can't actually remember hearing of anyone who's behaved that badly and got something in, in an inheritance. <clears throat> That's why those fake email scams are so easy to spot, right? Your rich uncle Joe from America gave you $10 million. It's like, come on. So easy to spot. So when we think of an uh, eternal life being like an inheritance, the young man gets it right again. Yes, eternal life is an inheritance. It's a gift that was accumulated by someone else. But I think he kind of ties it in with uh, a human perspective. Because he thinks that it, this gift will only be given at a, as a sign of approval of the way he's lived his life. And so he asks, what must I do? Now this is uh, the first part of his question where he goes wrong. Where is he pointing? What must I do? His very question betrays his frame of reference. And this is our default position as people. We point to ourselves. What must we, we think it's all it's dependent on us. It's so deeply ingrained in us that even when we consciously think that we trust in Jesus for our salvation, we can become aware of parts of our lives where we still rely on ourselves and our moral performance to prove we are worthy. So this this young guy, he's so close. He's so close. Yes, eternal life is an inheritance that was accumulated by someone else. And it is dependent on moral performance, but it's based on Jesus' moral performance, not his own. So the person who accumulated the gift and on whose moral performance the gift of salvation is based is Jesus. Okay? The key to receiving salvation or eternal life then is the point to Jesus, not ourselves. Now, moral performance, goodness, if you like, has to be measured against something. And in God's eyes and in the, in the eyes of the people of Israel, it's measured against the law of Moses. So the rich young man comes at Jesus with the law. And what does he get? The law. So just like the Pharisees that we covered earlier in, in the story, Jesus gives him the law. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Now this is, this guy is a fine man. Right? He's a, a, he's a decent man. Because in response he says, Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. How many of us can say the same thing? Not me. And yet he doesn't get a pat on the head from Jesus for his upright living. Instead we read these, these unsettling words. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So firstly, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Beautiful, beautiful words. Jesus loved this guy. And I think that describes many people who we might know that 
aren't following Jesus. They, they might be fine people, admirable people, decent people. We would even go so far as to say they are good people, although good in a different sense than Jesus used in our passage today. And just like this young man, Jesus looks at them and loves them. Yet they are pointing somewhere other than Jesus. And so they get a similar response. One thing you lack. Now did you notice that Jesus didn't start his list of commandments at the first one? Did you notice that? Why do you think he did that? Because the young man had broken the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first, that's the first commandment, right? Only he couldn't see it. He was blind to his own failure. He was so sure that he ticked them off. When in actual fact he'd broken the most important one. So Jesus gave him an additional law that only applied to him to bring his real sin to light. No one else in the whole of Scripture was given this commandment. Remember this, brothers and sisters. If we insist on pointing to ourselves for our salvation, we'll get the same thing. The standard will keep on increasing until we are disqualified. In fact, Jesus gives them a clue where to point in the very first words of his response. These are like when you think about these words, why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. An interesting thing to say, eh? Now some people have kind of taken this phrase as Jesus saying he wasn't God. But notice that Jesus didn't say that he wasn't good. He just said no one was good apart from God alone. In fact, Jesus is actually claiming to be God here. He's saying, do you realize who you're talking to? He's saying to the young man, the answer is standing right in front of you. Point to me, not to yourself. Point to me. And so he got this special command that was only for him. And what was his response? The man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The Amplified Version says this, But the man was saddened at Jesus' words, and he left grieving, because he owned much property and had many possessions, which he treasured more than his relationship with God. Now, how can Jesus love him? Like Jesus looked at him with love, right? How can Jesus love him and then turn him away? How can he do that if he loved him? Isn't that like un yieldingly harsh I don't think so at all and just as a mental thought experiment as they say just imagine you had found your special someone the one you've been waiting for all your life and you got excited and joyful and you thought to yourself in the words of Etta Jones at last my love has come along my lonely days are over and life is like a song and then your special someone said Oh, by the way, I've actually got this other person who I'm in a relationship with too. Is it harsh to then say in response, well, if you really want them, you better go to them then? Is that harsh? It's actually an expression of love and truth, isn't it? If you really want that other person, we'll go to them. If that's what you really want. That's what Jesus did to this man. You see, Jesus doesn't mind us having wealth. 
many heroes of faith in the scriptures had colossal wealth, like Abraham, Joseph, Joseph, the prince of Egypt. Man, he had colossal wealth. Job, Joseph of Arimathea, and so on. But Jesus does mind wealth having us. Wealth clearly had this young man, and that was the treasure of his heart. And the trouble with treasuring one thing and then trying to live a life that pleases God is that it creates a dissonance, a sense of unease within us, a niggly feeling that no matter how much we do, it's not enough. <coughs> what do you think the young man came to Jesus in the first place? What did he run? Because he knew that something wasn't right. But you don't run unless it's really pressing, right? If he was quite at peace, he wouldn't have run at all. Wouldn't have even turned up. The truth is he wasn't at peace. He knew that there was something wrong in his life. How about you? How's your peace? How's your sense of wholeness, of oneness? Uh, is all of you going in the same direction? Or is part of you going one way and part of you going the other? You see, it's not just wealth we can idolise, is it? In my own life, I idolised marriage and the attention of beautiful women. And when Jesus was dealing with it in my life, I felt like my soul was being ripped in two. And it was a real bad time. And I'm so thankful that he gave me the grace to make him the treasure of my heart. And that allowed me to be free for Jesus to bring someone into my life. And I'm so grateful for my wife Sarah and all the wonderful blessings that have come into my life. So Jesus doesn't mind you having wealth, a great career, marriage, sex and family and children. But he does mind any of these things having us. And remember that when, you come, when it comes to Jesus, if you're holding something, you can't point to him. Because your hands are full. Right? We've got to empty our hands first so that we can point to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is asking this young man to do. Now when we stand back from this story a little bit, we can see that Jesus encounter with this guy, it was really unsettling for him. It was disturbing. You can actually say it wrecked his life. <laughs> right? Because Jesus showed him he wasn't the man he thought he was. He thought he was a, a really good man. And Jesus is like, hold on. You've got this issue. And he's like, oh, I do. And Tim Keller says that when we deal with the real Jesus, it's always unsettling. It's always disturbing. He seems to continually expose us and demand more of us than we initially thought than we decided to follow him. And as I look back on my life, I think he's right. Life seems to be an ongoing revelation of the depravity of my own heart. Like the layers of an onion. You know, you, you peel one back and think, ah, oh, that's the centre. Oh, no, it's not. There's no one. Oh, that's got to be. No, it's not. And it's, it's this kind of peeling back of different layers of yourself that Jesus does in our lives. And it's, it's not easy. It's disturbing. Not when you peel an onion. <laughs> you, it, it's a very sad, you know, you weep, don't you? <clears throat> that's kind of like what it's like. But ultimately, Jesus is doing this for our own benefit. It's an expression of his love. It's like you think you know your own heart, 
But Jesus shows you that you don't. But this is how we grow, right? And this is Jesus wants us to grow towards Him. So this disturbance, this unsettlingness, is really actually part of the process of being made holy, of becoming like Jesus. It's a good thing. And Jesus offers us more than we could uh, ever conceive of when we become more and more His. We, we experience more peace, more joy, more love, more grace in our lives. So when we are disturbed and unsettled by a revelation of who we really are, <clears throat> don't freak out. It's a good thing. Jesus is working in your life. You're meeting the real Jesus. That's what's going on. You're meeting the real Jesus. And we can either bow down and worship and allow Jesus to transform us, or we can walk away sad like this young guy did. But even if we walk away sad, it's not the end, is it? Because eventually, who knows, that young guy might have turned around and go, actually, Jesus is right. I've got to do something about this. I like to think that that happened. Because I, I like this guy. So if you're regularly unsettled and disturbed by what Jesus reveals in your heart, be encouraged. It's a good thing. A good thing. If you're not regularly unsettled and exposed, make sure you're talking with a real Jesus. <laughs> right? <clears throat> you see, if we dream of a life of power and joy without God... That's an idol. And Jesus wants us to give it to him. This guy, he, he had a, a dream of a life of power and, and wealth without God. And Jesus said, I'm not going to put up with that. It's not the life that I want for you. Because eventually that will separate you and I forever. So if Jesus wants you to give something up, it's because he wants to be your real treasure. <clears throat> but this is quite disturbing for the disciples. And Jesus said these really um, challenging words, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then he throws the net even wider. Did you notice that? First of all, it was the rich. And then he says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples can't believe what they've just heard. What they've just witnessed. This guy's a decent guy. And you turned him away. What about the rest of us? If he's not saved, who's in? Must have been a massive freak out for them. And Jesus gave them this answer. With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. What does this mean? Jesus is saying, it's impossible for you to inherit eternal life if you come to me pointing to yourself and your moral performance as a justification. But if you come to me and point to my moral performance, it's entirely possible for you to be saved. The message translation puts it really well. The disciples say, then who has any chance at all? And Jesus was blunt. No chance at all if you, can, if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. That's cool, eh? No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. 
And I love the way Alistair Begg articulates this point, pointing to Jesus. I might have shared this story before, but it's so good I'm going to share it again. He takes the story of one of the criminals who was crucified on that terrible day with Jesus. The one who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he imagines what it was like when this man turned up at the gates of heaven. And the angels ply him with theological questions. Are you familiar with the doctrine of salvation by grace? And the guys are, what? What about this? No idea. And then finally, in exasperation, the angels say, on what basis are you here? And the thief says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. So simple and yet so profound. You could write a hundred books of theology behind that statement. But that, that's all you need. The man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's what it means to point to Jesus' righteousness and not our own. That's all you have to say. The man on the middle cross said I could come. So today we've seen afresh that our salvation is not something we do, it's something we receive. It is an inheritance that Jesus accumulated through his flawless moral performance, not ours. And we can be co-heirs of his inheritance when we point to him and not ourselves in our own moral performance. And all we have to say is, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Wonderful words. Wonderful words. And we've also seen that when we interact with a real Jesus, it can be profoundly disturbing as he reveals the true state of our hearts to us. But this is ultimately for our own good. Because in acknowledging the truth of what he's saying and acting in obedience to what he asks us to do, we will leave behind a life of instability and doubt and we will grow to become strong and resilient and godly people that bring glory to the Lord. And finally, we have seen that Jesus doesn't mind us having wealth and all sorts of other wonderful things in life, but he does mind those things having us. And he wants to be the treasure of our hearts. Why is that? Why? Let's go. Why does Jesus want to be the treasure of our hearts? Because you are the treasure of Jesus' heart. You are the treasure of Jesus' heart. Why do you think he went to the cross? For you. You are his treasure. What other response could we have but, Lord, be the treasure of my heart? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you gave up for us. We thank you, Lord, that eternal life that we can experience right now, a life with you, walking with you, sharing our lives with you. Lord, that gift of eternal life was accumulated by you, and it's a gift to us. <coughs> Lord, may we, may we receive it as a gift. Lord, may we not try to add anything to your perfection. Lord, you can't improve perfection. Help us to remember that. Lord, help us to just receive it and walk in it. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that we are the treasure of your heart. Lord, settle upon us the truth of these words. Lord, may they grow deep in our hearts. And Lord, as we allow you to peel back the areas of our lives that aren't pleasing to you, 
Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, we're dealing with the real Jesus. Thank you, Lord.